right. Hey, good morning, Messiah, and it is so good to be with you today. As mentioned, our Christmas movie today is Die Hard, and I'd like to show you a clip, but I'd also like to keep my job, and so uh, we're going to skip that. But hey, um, here's something for you. Did you know that the villain in Die Hard, Hans Gruber, has the same last name as the guy who wrote Silent Night? Franz Gruber? Yeah, Hans and Franz. Has nothing, in, it's interesting, nothing to do with the text or anything today, but I just thought, you know, you've got to go home with some kind of Scooby snack uh, about Die Hard. But uh, the scripture that I would like to point to this morning is what uh, Jesus' disciple wrote down in the second chapter of his gospel, and it's in this part of the story that happens right after the magi or the wise men. They come and visit Jesus, and they bring the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, and um, King Herod then realizes that the magi aren't going to come back to tell him where this new king is to be found. And what follows is one of the most terrible scenes in all of Scripture. Verse 13, when they, the magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is God's word. All right, let's get into it. Today's flick is Die Hard. And if you haven't seen it, I'm not saying you should, especially if you don't like a whole lot of violence and colorful language like I do. Um, Nevertheless, let me catch you up to speed. Die Hard is a 1988 action film starring Bruce Willis as hard-boiled New York City cop John McClane, who has to free hostages, including his wife, from a gang of organized criminals after they storm a skyscraper where a Christmas party is being held. Thank you, Wikipedia. Now, before we get into it, I suppose there is one burning question that we must address right off the top regarding the movie Die Hard. And the question is, is it or is it not a Christmas movie? Now, I realize this is, oh, touchy, very controversial stuff this morning. People all over the world debate this one back and forth. Not sure where you stand on this major issue in life, but I will offer today some justification for including Die Hard in the Christmas movie category. Here are seven good, okay, seven semi-good reasons why Die Hard is in fact a Christmas movie, and I totally ripped these off from several internet postings. Number one, it takes place on Christmas Eve at a holiday office party. Not sure who's throwing a holiday office party on Christmas Eve, but that's beside the point. Secondly, 
It has Christmas music in it. The soundtrack includes songs such as Winter Wonderland, Let It Snow, Ode to Joy. Number three, Santa Claus makes an appearance. Number four, it snows, paper, at the end. Okay, admittedly, that one's a little sketchy, okay. Uh, number five, the hero's wife's name is Holly. Okay, that's clearly a reach. Uh, but number six is legit. The screenwriter, the guy who wrote it, said that Die Hard is, in fact, the Christmas movie. And then last one, and if you're still a doubter, I think this one just might sway you. The Target store displays Die Hard in its holiday movie section. So there you go. All right. I mean, Target, but okay. So maybe you're still not convinced, and that's okay, because today's message really isn't so much about the movie. It's about the Messiah. Christ is the ultimate hero. Jesus is the man who just won't go away. Even from infancy, he was a marked man. Uh, we know that the crib and the cross go together. The Savior, wrapped in swaddling clothes, was born to save people from their sins. He was born to die hard. Christmas is for the cross. Now, we see it early on, even as a baby. He is targeted for death. Now, you heard the text, and if you've hung around the Bible long enough, then you know that there's no such thing as a good Herod. Uh, there are several Herods throughout Scripture, and so it can get confusing, but the one that we're looking at today is the original, King Herod the Great, who happens to be a great big lunatic. I could regale you with more than enough examples of Herod's ruthlessness. He murdered his wife and his sons because he was paranoid about their potential to take his throne. He was an absolutely cruel individual. He delighted in punishing his enemies, and from his point of view, he certainly had one in Jesus. And the lives of Herod and Jesus intersect when the Magi from the East, they come to Herod, uh, and they ask where they could find the one who was born king of the Jews, for they had come to worship him. <laughs> And when Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And that's what the text says, disturbed. Huge understatement there. Herod freaked. He was paranoid. He freaked. He was furious, so much so that he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem who were two years old and under. The estimate is somewhere between 10 and 30 murders. It's what's known as the slaughter of the innocents. Not surprisingly, this scene never makes it into the Sunday School Christmas pageant. As author John Ortberg points out, this is not the kind of story you write songs about. At Jesus' birth, all is not calm. All is not bright. The baby does not sleep in heavenly peace. An angel warns Joseph in a dream to take the child and escape, and they are sent to Egypt while Herod sends his soldiers to Bethlehem and into the homes of peasant families who are powerless to stop them. They break in, bust open the door, and when they find an infant boy, they take out a sword and follow through with their orders. Then they leave. 
Someone wrote a song centuries later, O little town of Bethlehem, still we see thee lie. Bethlehem was not still when Herod came for Jesus. But Jesus is the man who will not go away. He will not die hard just yet. No, it's Herod who dies, and when he does, Joseph is given another dream and instructed to return to the district of Galilee, to the town of Nazareth, and it's here where the family will live and work and play, and we don't hear all that much about Jesus until, until about age 30, and Jesus begins his ministry. He is baptized, he goes out to the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan, and then, just right after that, he returns to his hometown to preach his first sermon. Author Tony Campolo paints this picture. He says, Mary has undoubtedly rounded up the crowd. You know how mothers are. My son is preaching at the Central Synagogue tonight. He's really something, you don't wanna miss him. And so the crowd comes out, and the place is packed. All these bearded guys in robes, women and children watching from the balcony. It's crowded. Many are standing, watching, and waiting. There's an air ex expectation about this carpenter's kid. Sensational rumors have been spreading all over the countryside. And this appearance in his hometown has been long awaited by many in the room. And Jesus stands up. He asks for the scriptures. He takes the scrolls and he finds what he's looking for and he opens up to the 61st chapter of Isaiah. There it is. The crowd is waiting. What's he going to say? And he lifts his eyes to the congregation and speaks. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And with that first line, Jesus is already causing quite a stir. Every Jew knew his or her scripture, and they loved this part of God's word, this word of promise and hope and deliverance. This is a dearly loved passage because it reminded people that God was in fact still with them and he still cared for them. What a great passage, it was their favorite. Now what's super interesting about the passage that Jesus selected, the 61st chapter of Isaiah, is that the prophet said that the long-awaited Messiah will come and you'll know it's the Messiah when he comes because the Messiah is going to announce it. Announce what? He will announce the year of the Lord's favor. Just listen, Jesus continues, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down to teach. And the eyes of 
everyone in the synagogue brought him. Oh, you bet they were. You bet they were. What's he going to say? And of all things, he says this. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Shock. Does he realize what he has just done? He has declared the year of the Lord's favor. Only the Messiah was supposed to do that. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, folks, in case you didn't get it, I'm it. Whoa. This is some serious stuff. Very serious. That's blasphemy. They're saying that you're God. In Jesus' day, you could kill a man for saying something like that. And eventually they would. But not here. Not now. Oh, they tried. They drove him to the edge of town. They found the nearest cliff. And they intended to push him off. But Jesus will not die hard today. No way. The text says he just walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Oh, man, I love it. That move right there in comparison makes Bruce Willis look like a wimp. I mean, seriously. Think of it. You got the whole town ready to push him off the cliff, ready to do him in, and Jesus just stares him down. And no one is brave enough to lay a finger on him. And he walks right through the crowd, and he goes on his way. He just kept walking. Yeah, that's my Jesus. <laughs> he just kept walking, bringing good news to the poor, binding up the brokenhearted, healing the hurting, opening the doors for the poor and for the rich and for everybody in between. Jesus is the man who will not go away. He came to them in their hurt and their hopelessness and in their darkness. Jesus came for those in bondage to sin by going all the way to the cross so that they, so that we may follow him to freedom. That's what the movie Die Hard's really all about. It's one man's mission to set the captives free. It's a great movie, but there's a similar story that comes to mind. I think it's maybe even a little bit better because it's true. I believe I've told it before, but it's definitely worth rewinding. Author Tim Wiesman captures the situation well. I believe the book is called Seasons of the Sun, but I think he might have gotten it from Donald Miller's Blue Like Jazz. But in it, he retells the story of Navy SEALs performing a covert operation, freeing hostages from a building in some dark part of the world. 
And they flew in by helicopter, made their way to this compound, and they stormed into the room where the hostages were being imprisoned. The room was filthy and dark, and the hostages were kind of curled up in a corner. They were terrified. When the seals entered the room, they heard the gasps of the hostages and They stood at the door and they called for the prisoners, telling them they were Americans, they were here to rescue them. And the seals asked the hostages to follow them. But the hostages would not. They just stared at the floor and they hid their eyes in fear. See, they were not of healthy mind and they didn't really believe that their rescuers had actually come to free them. So the seals stood there. They they didn't know what to do. They couldn't possibly carry everyone out in time. And then one of them had an idea. He put down his weapon, and he took off his helmet, and he curled up tightly next to the other hostages, getting so close that his body was actually touching some of theirs. And he softened the look on his face. And he started to put his arms around them. And he was trying to show them that he was one of them. See, none of the prison guards would have done that. And he stayed there for just a while until some of the hostages started to look at him and finally meet his eyes. And the Navy SEAL whispered that he was there to rescue them. Will you follow me? And the hero stood to his feet. And then one of the hostages did the same, and then another until all of them were willing to go. And the story ends with all of the hostages safe and finally free. True story. That's our story. We were trapped, slaves to sin, with no chance of escape, no way out, no. Do you realize how absolutely helpless we were? Probably not. Now, I know this is 500 years old school, but stick with me. This is Luther's explanation to the third article of the Apostle Creed. He says, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. Meaning, I can't even believe in Jesus without the help of God. That's our situation. Do you know how blessed you are? Why you believe? Think of it this way. Uh, You are a baby in a crib. (laughs) And your crib is, let's say, on the third floor of the house. And the house is on fire. And you don't have the strength. You don't have the brain power. You don't even have the slightest ability whatsoever in order to get yourself out. You're an infant, after all. Absolutely helpless. Ah, but then the rescuer comes, 
And Jesus breaks down the door. He climbs the stairs and battles the smoke and the flames. And he picks you up out of the crib. And he shields you from the, the heat and the harm. He rescues you and he saves you. And you're, you're out, you're free. And you know what you want to do? Oh, you want to keep crawling back into the burning building. Yeah, me too. We have been rescued from sin, but you and I are always drawn back in. The fire looks so pretty. Yeah, we know. It's hard to die to sin. But Jesus is the Savior who will not go away. His mission is to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and to open the eyes of the blind, to release the oppressed. Jesus came and has love and grace and the power to break down that door that has locked you in again and again and again. He'll never give up on you, never. Whatever the imprisonment of sin, whatever it is that has you feeling trapped in addiction, or greed, or bitterness, worry, guilt, whatever it is that holds you hostage, Jesus is the Savior. He is your hero, and Jesus has come for you your savior, your rescuer. He left the very best of heaven and he set down his crown and he became one of us, a baby in fact. He became a man, a man who will not go away. He huddled among us amidst all the pain and the mess and the fear and sin, and he says, will you follow me? Come follow me. I'm your savior. Come follow me to freedom. Oh, what lengths he would go just to have you a crib, and a cross. Oh, he could have called down 10,000 angels with machine guns and freed himself from that cross. But that wouldn't have done us any good. Do you know how tough he is? He's the toughest man I know. See, we needed someone, a sacrifice, but someone who's holy and perfect and willing. Mm. And willing. And so he stayed. He gave himself up. He stayed nailed to a cross, and you look upon your Savior taking your place there and shedding 
his blood and dying so very hard so you won't ever. He loves you and he cares for you like nobody else, no matter your past, no matter the present. He has come to free you and take you safely and lovingly into the future. Praise God that he sent his son to save you, Jesus, our Savior, who just won't go away.